cabeza Me acerco, todo me tiembla Ahora tengo la certeza Que no se me han quitado las ganas Despertar contigo en las mañanas Pero voy buscando tu mirada Y tus ojos, baby, no me dicen nada Hola, ¿me recuerdas? Era yo a la que tanto querías Dame esta noche entera Que seamos solo tú y yo En otro planeta Que tus amigas no se metan Tal vez así lo podamos hacer Ink Studs, and my guest this week is Sloan Leong. Uh, Sloan's latest book uh, is Prism Stalker from Image Comics with the collection coming out in just under a month. I think September 5th, you said, was the street date? Yes. Um, as well, Sloan has a bunch of mini comics that she's been doing, and it's kind of been a force doing a whole wide range of work, uh, first starting out with, I guess, coloring was your first kind of major comics thing. Yeah. Um, and then as well, I want to make mention um, Sloan is probably the most prolific of Ink Studs uh, guest hosts. Uh, <laughs> I have always very much appreciated. And uh, Sloan continues to do podcasting with um, Leslie Hung on um, Salt and Honey podcast yes where they talk about comics and the craft behind comics and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. more about that in a little bit um because <laughs> i'm always happy to talk to other folks that do this this similar end of things as well uh there'll be a book out from first second uh is it map to the sun or map of the sun my brain's uh, a map to the sun map to the sun there we go uh mm -hmm. And in the next couple of months, uh, you'll be appearing at the Boise Library Comic Convention, where I don't yes. know how they do this, but they bring in a whole bunch of cool cartoonists uh, to Boise, and yeah. it sounds really dope. Um, and you'll also be appearing at Thought Bubble, um, which yes. is not a library, but it's in a lovely town. Um, 
and I went once four years ago and really enjoyed it. And I wish I could go again, but England is very far. <laughs> very far. <laughs> um, I also wanted to kind of say like Sloan is someone who I probably should have interviewed sooner. Um, Prism Soccer is fantastic, and it's kind of the the thing that lit my butt to get on this. Um, sometimes when I get to know people outside of this, of the you know personally, I'm always like somehow just kind of like don't get around to interviewing folks as much, um, <laughs> which is a really shitty thing because um, it's a weird like. I don't know paradox, mm -hmm. um, but I I I'm happy to talk to you today, Sloan. This is a long Yay. preamble for this interview. I feel like <laughs> like Mark Marin or something. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're doing fantastic work and saying a lot of fantastic things, and I'm really excited to chat with you. Uh, oh, thank you. I'm honored to be an Inkstead finally. Yay. Um, <laughs> God, what a terrible name I started using 13 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good. It's good. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just thinking of like where to start. Because um, I'd first met you probably like six or seven years ago. Mm -hmm. um, we were talking about that the other day. Uh, you'd come yeah. to Vancouver and I kind of knew your name. Um but I hadn't really seen much of what you'd done at that point, but you'd mm -hmm. kind of been active and I'm guessing in a lot of different uh, online communities of which I'm kind of uh, not a part. Um, yeah. And so just kind of what's a little bit about that background at that point of kind of what your interests were and how you're connecting with these other cartoonists. Yeah. Um, so that kind of, started when I started drawing comics for like a little online community called Enter Void. I was like 16. Um, and I lived at Hawaii at that point, which there was like no cartoonists there. So when I moved to the mainland, which was like uh, 2000, end of 2006, I like kind of quickly hooked up with like the Portland scene and then also the Vancouver scene a little bit, which like um, Marley... <clears throat> Zarcon and James Stoko were like really uh, like formative cartoonist friends that I had online. Mm -hmm. um, so I went to visit them and that was really cool. I felt very like uh, in awe the whole time <laughs> <laughs> having see, seeing it because they, they like invited me over and I got to see like James little like drawing nook on his couch and how he like he, I think he was drawing like some Godzilla page at the time and so I was just like <gasps> it, it was really cool. <laughs> And it was probably, like, his own fan fiction Godzilla page. <laughs> yeah, probably just for fun. It was just, like, massive. It was, like, God, I don't know, like, an 18 by 24, like, just, like, a giant splash page of, like, Godzilla. And, like, I don't even know. It was just, like, amazing. And he was just, like, kind of, like, huddled up in the corner of his couch and just, like, very, like, casually drawing it. And I was sitting next to him and I was like, oh, my God, people just do this. <laughs> <laughs> what were some of the the comics you were reading and getting into as a 16 year old um or was it yeah necessarily that was making you want to draw yeah um i had always um been very like artsy and crafty when like growing up um and i yeah i started reading comics at 16 so i didn't really grow up with them necessarily mm -hmm. uh around that time i started um hanging out at Borders. I, like, I would wait for my mom to finish work, and she worked right across from Borders, so I would just hang out in there after school and um, just read, like, tons of manga. I tried to read, like, superhero stuff, but it was very hard to, like, get into it because there was no, like... I don't know. It was hard to find, like, an established storyline that was easy to just, like, pick up. Um, so manga was, like, an easy uh, gateway into that. Uh, so, like... Battle Angel, Naruto, like all the classic like shonen, shonen titles. Um, what else? Uh, Blame was really, really formative. Um, I don't know. There, there was a lot. I pretty much read indiscriminately. So I also read like a lot of like really bad like, like 
harem manga and like just like literally whatever was on the shelves like <laughs> but uh yeah when when did you kind of figure that like comics was what you wanted to do um and kind of how did coloring come as that kind of financial mm. means um let's see i think uh ever since i was like let's see i think it was like third third or fourth grade um i had started drawing and like illustrating my own stories like prose stories mm-hmm. um so they're kind of this like proto comic even though i hadn't really read comics besides like maybe a newspaper strip once in a while um and that that started because my teacher would assign us every week uh, a vocabulary list and we would have to like write out the words like over and over again to learn them and then st- and i asked her i was like this is really boring can i like write a story incorporating like all these words and she's like yeah sure and so every week i would write a new short story using like a list of 20 words <laughs> and then i would like illustrate it um That's so awesome. i did that like th- that whole year uh and i think that was actually a pretty like pivotal point of like me like really being into like art and story and like having like illustrated narratives um so at 16 when i was finally like really getting into comics i was like oh yeah like this is like the perfect like amalgamation of art and story this is this is it this is peak um so yeah i just started like obsessively drawing comics at that point and um coloring started when let's see what why did I start coloring? I think my first thing was with Change, which was written by Alish Cott and my friend Morgan Jeske drew it. Okay. I can't, I can't think of... I think that came out in, like, what, 2003? Let me check real quick. But that was, like, my first, th- like, gig coloring and, like, getting paid. Yeah. Um. Which was cool. Did you know Morgan uh, before working on that? yes yeah i think we were like kind of new friends and not 2003 i'm sorry 2013 okay um so i was like yeah that's that's a little early no so i was like 23 by then and i had like done like some freelance um coloring for like indie people so um but this was like my first like long kind of long form coloring gig Mm -hmm. uh and i i found out i really enjoyed it and also liked when I could kind of just do my own thing, uh, which people came to me for. They weren't very picky with how I color things. So um, that became like a fun little side gig I had. And one friend kind of described your coloring as um, being very different um, because it, it the, the work you're putting into it did more than just kind of serving um, making a colored comic. Um, mm. Like there were dimensions within the coloring and kind of the scope of the coloring style uh, that mm-hmm. stood out. And so I'm really interested in kind of what was your approach at that time. Um, yeah. You know, people like, that's the thing I get complimented on the most, even with like Prism Stalker is like, they're like, oh, it's so colorful and like the way you're using color, but it's very like, uh intuitive for me the way i'm coloring things like i have have some like you know basic like techniques and uh like conceptual techniques i'm using like to convey like whatever mood or uh energy or like to slow pages down but it's very like like when i choose a palette it's very just like i don't know so like uh i think issue four of prism stalker i had like this like nasty like vomit green with like maroon palette and that was just because like i don't like those i don't use those colors a lot because they're not like not my favorite but i was like oh i want to try and see if i can make this work so (laughs) i use them (laughs) um so i don't know uh they're so it's so like uh subjective to me the color so when people are like really into it i'm like okay that's cool like i was like experimenting and i don't know I get it. Can you, like, I don't know, can you, like, tell me, like, specifically? Like, you kind of did, but I've, I'm still, like, I don't know what makes my color especially stand out, I guess. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I can't speak to specific pages and scenery. It was mm-hmm. more general overall comment. 
Um, Interesting. Like, just that makes sense because I kind of approach each page as like a kind of like a general whole. So, like, a lot of things like don't have like their own local color. Like, it's kind of like bleeds into the rest of like the overall palette. Mm hmm. Um, I guess that's one specific thing I try to do, which makes each scene like kind of a block of color. Like if you look at my comics, usually scenes are like divided by a color, a specific color palette, but I don't know. Interesting. Um, You kind of talking critically about comics and, and the work that goes into it seems like something that's always been kind of paramount for you. Uh, mm. And I'm wondering if there's any point where you've like read a bunch of like critical theory um, and kind of what, you know, where that approach is coming from or is like, what do you want to get for yourself for your own work mm-hmm. looking through a different kind of critical lens? Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, um, I haven't read too much theory um, just because I don't know. Uh, like my relationship and like reactions to art uh, have always felt like enough kind of Mm -hmm. Um, just in the sense that I'm trying to build my own like what am I trying to say kind of like build my own understanding of art and I also try and keep it very like not simple but I want to be able to speak about it with like clarity and not with like a lot of like abstract philosophical terms which i like sometimes like when i started reading like the comics journal like i feel like that was like a big thing um having like literary and like philosophical um kind of like discussions on art and comics which is fine but it felt so like uh distant and i'm like is this really how how you're engaging with the art like through these like weird like lenses that are that are valid but are also like they don't feel genuine like it feels like oh i here's a piece of art i better like look at it in this way in this way and it's like not it's like super impersonal i guess um so i don't know i've always i i love reading people's like reviews and like critical analysis of like art and comics and stuff but um for me i just it's a way of like teaching myself because that's that's how I learned to draw is just like studying art and comics and I don't know having like an inner dialogue of constantly going of what what works and what doesn't for me and why so I don't know this past couple of years I've been trying to convey my thoughts a little better through like little reviews and essays just to I don't know uh, offer a more like down to earth kind of perspective because i'm not very like i don't know highfalutin about the way i approach art (laughs) i don't know (laughs) do you find that when you discover work or you come across work um that really speaks to you does it have an effect within your own creative process yeah i would say i would say it does it's not always something that i can like incorporate um I don't know. Like, I really like uh, Jacob Rebelka's work. I saw his recently. Um, it's just like a super dense, like, illustrations. And it's like this velvety, like, painting style he has. Um, I thought that was really, that, like, was really inspiring. But it's not something that I personally am ever interested in, like, pursuing, like, stylistically. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, I don't know, there's always some little aspects and things that I like that I I don't know try and pull from but it depends some some people are just like so far away from me like and how they um like execute their work that i i love it so much but it's not something that i could ever do yeah like, even if i wanted to <laughs> one of the things i, I want to make recognition of for myself is i and just kind of call, call it out is in the past i've gone to you uh for suggestions uh, for interview guests and stuff because um, mm-hmm. you you have a good idea of what's constantly going on out there and I'm interested about how uh, important it is to read other work uh, mm-hmm. as a creative person and being present with, with other comics out there and what other creators are doing. Um, not necessarily for mm-hmm. the influential thing 
Um, but I don't know kind of what I'm saying with that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I've... It's a part of who you are um, to me is like mm. who, who is kind of looking at a lot of different things and kind of taking in a lot of different medium. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've been doing that since I was very young and it's just like a habit now. Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I always want like this general lay of the land like I'm always just looking for new ideas and new voices like that's just a joy for me to do <laughs> so it's yeah yeah I would say it's a big part of how I consume work is just like I don't know being open to I don't know different formats and mediums and all sorts of stuff now your latest work um prism stalker mm-hmm. um a lot of different ideas going through it, even within the the title itself. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm interested in kind of kind of the roots of that book um, and how it's kind of come to what it is. Uh, mm-hmm. your image, um, yeah, and kind of some of the development that's gone into where you where you're at it today. Hmm. Um. Let's see. So I started working on it like. I want to say when I was in my, like, like maybe 2021, um, and I had started working on the story, and I originally had wanted it to be, like, a um, visual novel, kind of, like a Japanese RPG type thing. Um, at the time, Twine was really popular, and I was really getting into making games. I don't know if you know that little, like, story-making app. Um, but I was messing with that a lot. And then it kind of like grew too big for that format. And I wasn't like, I, was like, <laughs> uh, I wasn't like up to the task of like uh, formatting like a giant choose your own adventure basically with this story. <laughs> so yeah, so I kind of like set it aside and I would work on it as like a kind of like a prose novel. And I worked on that on and off, um, but always kept on the back burner because like the images and stuff I had in it, I wasn't ready to draw yet. I just didn't have the skill. Um, so uh, at about 20, uh, I think I was like 26 or 26. Yeah. I kind of showed it to a friend of mine and they helped me pitch it to image. Um, and it was really simple. It was like the first, first I sent them like the first five pages they were like colored and lettered. Um, I sent it like a synopsis and the whole thing at that point had been like basically roughly written. I, I, the way I approach comics is I do like a really rough outline and I don't really like to script, um, ahead of time. I like to do that as I draw. Um, but basically there was a beginning, a middle and end. It was all, there was a skeleton basically. Um, so yeah, it was pretty easy. They're just like, Oh yeah, sure. That sounds good. And um, I have I had a page rate, so I was able to work on that exclusively um, for the next like two years, year and a half, about. Um, yeah, and, and that's how it like came to be published by Image. Um, Content-wise, like the inspiration for the story itself has a lot to do with like my um, like family heritage and like my cultural history. Um, I talk about that a lot, just because that's such a big um kind of source of inspiration but like uh kind of like the political situation in hawaii in like the late 1800s um so just like the story of how they were colonized and made into basically just like a giant like business (laughs) for a while um and the way they like uh treated the immigrants that they brought to work there and how the immigrants kind of like formed their own culture, like a new culture made up of all these other cultures, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. There's like a lot of interesting aspects to that um, time in history. And I thought it would be cool to kind of take a bit of that story and just like stretch it and like warp it into this like, like uh, space opera, basically. <laughs> Because not a, not many people even know that that part of wine history really like I feel like it kind of ends at like oh yeah Cook came and then like 
that was it, <laughs> which I guess is the important part. But there was so so much stuff that happened um, that I find really fascinating. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like the core kind of inspiration for Prism Stalker. But there's also like a universality for a lot of folks on the flip side who do get that story in their own kind of regional experiences with colonialism. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would say it's very, like there was so, there's so many facets, facets to um, colonialism and like, it was interesting because like with Hawaii, there was a lot of, I don't know. They traded like livestock. They brought livestock over, which was like a boon. And then it became a problem. And like, I don't know, there's like so many good, and bad mostly bad aspects but it's not like i don't know i feel like a lot of stories with like especially in like science fiction with colonized people they're either treated as like savages that are like wiped out and there's no like exchange happening or it's just like a completely alien people that we never really get to uh see they're just kind of like ciphers um the advanced uh, well advanced yeah <laughs> yes yeah um so i i just wanted to do something that was a little more complicated than that on this like grand uh like alien galactic scale um and it's also like uh, and i kind of like muddy the waters a little bit just for my own interest it's not like a one-one parallel because like in prism stalker's world there's like thousands of alien cultures and species that are um like cohabitating in the universe so but Vep's people are a little bit different in the fact that, like, their home planet was, like, ravaged. Um, and they had to leave and live as refugees with some other family. So, or some other um, alien culture. Um, so, I don't know. There's, like, a lot of things going on, but, yeah. <laughs> There's some really interesting things you do um, within the storytelling techniques. Uh, one of them in particular that jumped out to me was... Um, how you represented um, the main character's uh, language or uh, the mm. language of her people. I mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Um, and I'm interested in the work behind that in developing that kind of visual representation. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's nothing too complicated. Like I didn't want to have like, uh, I didn't want to create a visual language. Yeah. Like for her, so it's like, like there's just a look of it. Like I, I gave um, my letter Ariana like, uh, like a rough alphabet, but it's not something you could actually like translate because it's not important and it's also not translatable by VEP, which is is the whole point is that she can't speak her home language. Um, so that happens a, lo- a little bit throughout the story of where she, people will be speaking in another language in front of her, and it's indecipherable to her. So. Um, it has to be indecipherable to the reader too. Mm. I I like that approach. Mm. Like not every part of the story needs to be told, or we have kind of more of an experiential thing with what the main character is going through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, now you have kind of a longer idea in mind with this, uh, kind of exploring different aspects of it. I'm just interested in kind of where the narrative is weaving to. Yeah. So I pitched it as like 25 issues, which is um, kind of like a little denser than uh, like I originally imagined it, but it, it it'll work. Um, it's very honed into um, Vep's relationship as a scout, which next issue she's going to start like her first kind of like tour of duty, which is like, exterminating the indigenous like wildlife on the planet um and then she also gets into like uh tournaments which are like scout only tournaments as a way to like um in this on this planet the scouts also kind of function beyond soldiers as like kind of like like wrestling celebrities (laughs) where they're like fighting to gain like fame and the more fame they get of course they're gonna get more like physical benefits and that sort of thing. So um, just the relationship with like being lionized as this sort of like exterminating soldier. Um, Yeah. There's just like a lot of aspects of getting positive uh, reinforcement for participating in like 
colonization, but at the same time she's torn because she realizes like this is essentially wrong, even if they may have like good intent. Um, that's like a big theme through the rest of, of the series. Did you kind of jump into reading about other cultural colonial experiences while putting this together? Um, not particularly for this, but I mean, I, I love to read anyway. So I'm, there's lots of stuff I'm, I'm drawing from. Um, I don't know, no, nothing like specifically as specific as like my Hawaiian heritage and like, um, a little bit of like my, uh, Mexican heritage. Um, are, are you thinking of something specific that it reminds you of? No, no, nothing, nothing particular. I mean, it, like I said earlier, there's kind of a universality to a yeah. lot of it. I'm just kind of interested in kind of, I mean, my background, my degree is in history, so I'm always mm. um, in that fact, aspect, things of how kind of history can inform a creation of something else. And, and, and here it kind of, there is a bit of that, well, a lot of that in informing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, especially right now with like the refugee crisis and like deportation of Mexicans has been like a very like present thing in my life, just because my um, mom's half of the family is all like uh, Chicano, so Mexico is also a big part of my life and like Mexican culture. But um, yeah, that's just something that's always been present in my mind, and I found really, um, I guess, inspiring. Right, just like intriguing in the way people i don't know treat others across invisible non-existent borders you know <laughs> there's there's so many strange dynamics that that sort of um national nationalism brings out that is interesting to me but in a like scary way yeah. well there's all these different ideas of like when you have colonial structures and about how they create these like arbitrary hierarchies um, in terms mm-hmm. of society, especially like I'm seeing examples of like in South American stuff where they, you'd have these like racialized hierarchies of like 30 steps in some regions. Um, yeah. And just how that works to kind of sow discord. Oh yeah, totally. There, yeah, that's that. Bas- that's basically what happened, like in Hawaii, when they had all these immigrants coming in to work on the plantations. Um, the owners started treating the Japanese really well, and to do that specifically, um, basically all of them, all the other cultures like Hawaiians, Chinese, like Portuguese, were like started hating the Japanese people and like you know diverting their their anger to- towards them instead of like the the plantation owners. <laughs> so it's just like all these like uh imperialistic mind games i find really uh interesting i guess you went to new zealand earlier this year yeah yeah did you kind of look at any of the stuff there as far as like the legacies with the maori Uh, oh yeah um yeah it's a place i i've always wanted to go just because um uh growing up in hawaii like the maori are basically uh they migrated from from Hawaii and like Northern islands. Um, so their language is super oh. similar to Hawaiian. Like you can basically understand them. Um, they just have like maybe one or two letters that are like different. So instead of aloha, they say aroha with an R. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it was really cool. Cause um, because their, uh, oh, their history is like a little bit younger, like co- co- colonially. Um, they're, all of their like locations and stuff, they still have like the Maori names for them. Um, Maori is taught in the schools to um, Maori kids and uh, non-Maori people. So it's like so incorporated into like contemporary culture. They also have like Maori Maori language TV, lots of like cultural, um, just like the culture is so embedded into the contemporary culture that it's like, I don't know. It's just, it was kind of amazing to see that because in Hawaii, it's not like that. <laughs> it's very like extremely divided and, and small. Um, 
Uh, so it, it was really, it was really cool. Uh, there's, we also visited like a couple like, uh, kind of like traditional uh, villages where the Maori still have their like clans. Um, they all live together still and they still have like pieces of land that they're allowed to like own and operate on, which was cool. Um, and also like very different from Hawaii where we have uh, very little land and support. <laughs> so land is yeah. a commodity yeah, there. Yeah. Especially. Oh yeah. Yeah. Especially when like, I don't know, Bezos is like buying like 5 million acres of it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It's crazy. Um, but yeah, it was, it was an amazing trip. For sure. Um, as you're working on this, do you kind of, even doing that first book, did things kind of change for your approach of the book? Um, as I said, you kind of had a longer story in mind, but you also aren't scripting. Um, and I'm wondering, mm-hmm. like, as you're writing this comic and the words come out, does that kind of change things mm-hmm. to see how these characters are interacting and stuff? Yeah. Yeah, it totally does. Um, that's, that's kind of the reason why I don't like to script ahead is because like, um, uh, as I'm like drawing and like pausing to like write dialogue that is kind of coming out of the scene. Um, yeah. Things naturally change. Like I kind of view the characters as like actors and like, even though I obviously have control of them, it's also, like, kind of, like, almost like they're a little, like, simulation of a person in my head. And I have to s- stay true to kind of what how they would act. So even if it doesn't, like, jive perfectly with, like, a scene that I had in my head, like, keeping, like, the integrity of their characters more important to me and also, like, more interesting to work, work around, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, so originally, like, Villap, I wanted her to be very, like, um, kind of like a shonen character. Like, I wanted her to be, like, very fiery and, like, punchy and, like, she was just, like, super into, um, becoming a scout and, like, you know, she was just, just, like, very, a very vigorous character. And then as, as I was drawing it and the scenes are playing out with her family and, like, with her, you know, meeting all these alien cultures for the first time, I realized, like, no, she's going to be, like, pretty passive, if only out of, like, constant shock of what she's seeing. Because <laughs> she's basically, like, been displaced her whole childhood, and now she's being displaced once more. And, like, that sort of attitude, well, it could, could work. It just it wasn't, like, I wasn't buying it yeah. for her. So she became a more, like, reserved, like, stoic character. Stoic, but, like, just... You can see she's like clenched up like this this arc. She's not sure where she stands in this world or what she should be doing or if it's right or wrong. Um, there's some trauma. And then Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some trauma. Um and then yeah, so I just and then I balance I kind of balance the the rest of the cast kind of against her. Like they all have their unique like personality. Um but it didn't like uh, kind of end up being that like shonen action um, adventure feeling that I had originally intended, and that's fine because I feel like even though this is maybe like a little bit low lower impact, um, it's still uh, interesting to me. <laughs> I think that's like a similar approach to Jaime does with his locust stories, where they kind of yeah, oh, really? the characters kind of write themselves in a way. And, and like what mm-hmm. comes out, like there's no like extreme direct control. I hope it's a long yeah. time since I've talked to him about on that aspect, but it's sounding very familiar. Yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, that I feel like that comes across so naturally in his comics, the way his characters speak, and like even the way he like paces out his story. Um, yeah, it's very organic and yeah. like real. And I love that kind of human aspect that, that you're coming from with that too, where it's like, um, it, it's one thing to go and like write a script in advance, but then once you're actually like putting words into the character's mouths and because you get to know the character so well about like, oh yeah, mm-hmm. that actually makes no sense with what's going yeah. on now. So. Yeah, it was, like, a thing I struggled with, like, uh, with From Under Mountains. Mm-hmm. 
um, just because it was like, you know, Claire and Marion were writing the scripts and I was like into the story, but at the same time, I felt like I had um, the characters like didn't have a kind of a life to me in the sense that I couldn't imagine them outside of like the script at all. And so when I was drawing them, it was hard to like kind of pick up on what kind of like subtle, like emotional, um, like body language to draw because I felt like I was just like, I don't know, just like filling in things instead of like being expressive, I guess. Um, which is just, which is just, I, I ended up learning a challenge that comes with collaborating, but this was very like, we're all kind of like new to this sort of collaboration at the time. So there wasn't like too much back and forth. They just like sent me scripts and then I would try my best <laughs> to draw it. <laughs> um, but I think when I collaborate now, I, I really need to have like a good grasp of like who the characters are. And I need like a lot of like context for why they're saying and doing the things they're doing. And, and I can't really do like, like this character walks in, she says, that character says in reply, did it like, I can't draw from that. Like I, I just can't. <laughs> Is there something you learn from these different kind of less personal, more work for hire type things that you bring into your other work? Hmm. Um, like kind of just learning curves or I don't know, different types of stepping stones of kind of working through something constructively. Mm -hmm. Um, I think just, I don't know. I don't know what specifically I've learned from just work for hire stuff. Just like efficiency and like my workflow. Um, and like, I don't know. I feel like my work for hire stuff is kind of like a training ground for me. So I'm always trying to like experiment. I try not to like phone stuff in too much, even with stuff that I am not like emotionally invested in. So like coloring work, I'm always like trying new things or trying a new you know, style of like paneling or inking or whatever. Um, I would say it all helps build, build up my, my like repertoire of skills, I guess. But I can't think of anything like specific. Mm. Mm -hmm. No, it, it, just, if you got it, you got it, you don't, you know, it's all right. <laughs> um, but I definitely like when I look at your work, I definitely see there being a stark difference between, um, and this isn't a bad thing. Like Ron Wimberly, it's kind of the same thing where it's like, you've got your work fire stuff. You're a good cartoonist. You do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that allows you to support you doing your mini comics. Yeah. Your other work. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say like sometimes for like work fire stuff, I, if I'm not like super emotionally invested in it, I become less of an artist and more of like, a tradesman like I'm kind of just like plugging in my skills to this be it like a script or like an illustration um but I try not to just to just like you know do it thoughtlessly um but yeah there can be a stark difference like I feel like uh from under mountains is like really stiff just because I was kind of so unsure of this story in a sense um and I think that like is pretty plain on in my art in that book um whereas with prism stalker i feel like it's way more like uh in like like fun i think you can tell i'm having fun drawing it there's definitely there's times where you go like really full acknowledging your manga roots oh yeah <laughs> in there, which i kind of love where everything's getting a little blurry yes <laughs> and you have the action shots and i'm like you must have had a lot of fun doing those uh, oh yeah Anytime I can, like, pretend to be, like, like, Battle Angel or, like, Kiroaki, like, like Samura, and, like, draw, like, really blurry figures in action, I'm like, yes. I'm like, maybe I'll, maybe I'll, like, be good at this one day. <laughs> but for now, I'm just drawing, like, fake fan art <laughs> of this style. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Um, but I, something I think about is I remember when uh you were starting you're doing the mini comic for Mount of the sun um mm -hmm. and you were like 
all interested in like what's out there for sports comics mm-hmm. at that point in sport manga. Um, but it's not like what you ended up doing. Like sports is a thing; it's a part of it, but it's that's not what it is. Yeah, it's just like that's a very human, quiet, interesting work. Like I'm really fascinated about kind of where that little kernel comes from and then goes to something completely different yeah <laughs> um yeah i i'll be interested to see what you think of the finished comic because you know i really wanted to have like the drawn out like basketball scenes for this graphic novel where you're just like you know you know each panel is like a millisecond and you get to like see like every like little bit of action um but then i was like bumping up my page like the page count to like 500 and my publisher's like no we have to keep it at like 320 (laughs) to keep it at like a reasonable price point i was like oh crap and you know it's because i and it's also in full color so it still needs to it has to be like a manageable um page count so i'm like i'm like oh how am i gonna like get the goodness of like slice of life like drama with what i like have been obsessing over which is like cool like sports scenes mm-hmm. um so what i've had like, to do is huh no go ahead go ahead what i've had to do is basically like almost approach it like in a kind of like in the love and rockets pacing sense where thing it like it's almost like every page is like a almost like a montage not like all of the scenes but a lot of the sports scenes are just like really condensed like montages um and there's and like in a basketball season there's like 21 games so and it's supposed to cover like a year of school for these girls um so there's like a lot of games to, to show kind of <laughs> so yeah so real I, I don't know i had to like readjust kind of my approach and like the overall uh idea i had again but i think it'll i think it'll work and it'll be like satisfying um, both as like a slice of life thing and like a sports thing, but um, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you're using sports to just hide more ideas under. Uh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> I like this needs this needs it like a genre, I guess, and I don't want it to be like just slice of life. Like that's add a little spice to it, just a tiny bit, and the spice yeah. with basketball. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I do look forward to reading because, like, I always really enjoy your comics. And uh, oh, like thanks. The mini comics. <laughs> um, now we mentioned earlier uh, the podcasting and kind of mm-hmm. where that that other approach came from, um, or other activity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, like doing ink sets was really cool, and like being able to. I realized after I started interviewing people like I wanted to become better at like actually speaking about my work um and also being able to like um I don't know just like draw out and connect with other artists and be able to get insight from them um and it really takes a lot of work and thought and practice to do that (laughs) uh so I don't I don't remember how many little ink studs I've done like interviews but I was, me and Leslie were talking about it, and we also just want an excuse to, like, talk regularly, um, just because I'm, like, a real hermit, and she's in LA, and I don't get to see her that much, so it's, like, a good, like, bi-weekly thing for us to, like, get together and talk about what we're doing and reading and whatever, um, mm-hmm. but yeah. And yeah. you had originally interviewed her and Brian... Leo Malley, uh, yes. for the Ink Studs, for yeah. a, uh, it's not girl centric. Yes. Interview. Yes. I think that was like two years ago or so. That was when like Snow Girl came out, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, we three originally met at Comic-Con, I want to say maybe like six, five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I forget how we all got hooked up together. I think we had some like mutual friends, but yeah, we've all been buddies ever since. Nice. <laughs> um, so you're saying you wanted to kind of be able to 
more accurately or kind of more thoroughly speak to your own creative process. Yeah. And also just, yeah. And also I want it like, it kind of went hand in hand with also being able to like write about like work, like how I was thinking about art and also other people's art. Um, and I just thought both like ways of doing it were going to be like beneficial for me and also just very enjoyable. <laughs> um, and so with the show, do you guys kind of have a rough idea of what you want to talk about in advance to kind of throw us around ideas and then. Yeah. Yeah. We have like a little Google doc um, where we put like episode ideas. So we did like our first one was like all on like Motohagi, which is really cool. Um, mm-hmm. And then we've done, done one where we should pick up again, but we chose like, I think five random, like, uh, floppies to like read and review like just blind pick them um, which was fun so you read it and like tried to make sense of like where it was and like the story because they weren't like the number ones or anything um, but I thought that was fun and yeah we have like a whole list of like episode themes and like people we want to like talk to and um, we did we did like an interview with like Tucker Stone and that was fun it was just like you know just like chatting and it was it was very chill Tucker can talk at the flip of a dime. Yes. Uh, it's not hard to get anything out of him. I love that guy. Yeah, he's awesome. Uh, and then you've also, have you been on some of Tucker and Morgan and, and Sean's um, podcast too? Yeah. Um, it's been a while. I think I've been on like two or three episodes um, just to talk about movies. And I've known them for like quite a while now. Um, I think we just like met through twitter and like cartoonist friends but yeah they were like pretty also like inspiring um when i was younger i was like oh like you can have like cool interesting like non crazy thoughts about like movies that don't sound like you're just like parroting like some sort of academic paper (laughs) um (laughs) like sean is really good about writing up like about what he thinks movies do well like technically and like on thematic levels that aren't like insane to read <laughs> and like make sense um i don't know i'm always i always admire like his extreme depth of knowledge about movies it's it's pretty crazy um but yeah i've been just being friends with them and like being exp- exposed to like everything like they watch and read has um been pretty formative i'd say mm-hmm. um i always like hearing what folks are thinking about movies but i could never I was never really like fell down the wormhole mm-hmm. uh, of others, but it's really admirable like to have that kind of level of obsession with things. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know if that makes sense to a lot of folks, but I I get it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I have like a really bad memory, so like Sean's memory is like insane. Like he has like he knows everything about a movie down to like the most technical details or like the briefest like extra um that's not really my thing i can't do that but i do have like i would say i'm like as obsessed with comics like technically i guess um yeah i remember years ago i got invited to this party not even a party it was like someone there's a this is back in the late 90s uh, mm-hmm. where rent vhs's were rented uh mm-hmm. and one of the people who worked at a local video store black dog video um Mm -hmm. she would have these kind of movie trivia parties and i always just like never got any of the answers (laughs) to to a point where it was like kind of sad i was like yay (laughs) like that felt so good to get one thing right (laughs) i don't even know it's it's kind of (laughs) It's kind of funny because, like, I have, like, a terrible memory and I'm very, like, out of sight, out of mind. Like, if I don't see something or have, like, a reminder, I'll just, it'll just, like, not exist in my brain. But my mom is, like, the total opposite. Like, she's very, like, a trivia person. Like, she's been on, like, three different game shows and, and won them. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> she's uh, She's got a great, a really good memory. <laughs> now, one of the things we didn't really talk about um, but it is a factor of uh, 
of Prism Stalker is the importance of family and how that's really important for you in mm-hmm. your life. Um, yeah. How that informs work because it's also um, Map to the Sun that that that's a factor as well. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Uh, yeah, I have, like, uh, quite a big family on my dad's side, and um, I've always been close to, like, my grandparents on my mom's side and my uncle. Um, yeah, on both sides of my family, I just, family is, like, the most important. Um, even when there's, like, infighting or grudges or <laughs> uh, there's just, like, a familial loyalty that has kind of been ingrained in me. Um by by my family so yeah it's a big big part of my life Mm -hmm. do you find it working into your work like we i mentioned the the two but in other ways as well like kind of representatively with certain characters or attributes or yeah um i i feel like you know when you're like younger and you you have this like feeling that like your parents and like like the like the older people in your family they're just like perfect and like not like perfect in what they do but they're just like unquestionable and like these like higher beings like as like a little baby you know you're just like oh parents like i can't go against them and then at some point there's a change and you realize oh wait they're people and they have flaws and like (laughs) like they're oh they're human too like they can make mistakes i feel like i had that revelation very early in life um and it made me like really appreciate like what they were trying to do and like help me be despite their own like flaws and like traumas and whatever. Um, but I guess I, 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 I don't know. I really enjoy like learning about like my family history and like why they are like they are like personality wise and like, I don't know. I just find, people fascinating like their habits their tics their the way they think um because i i feel very um like my personality is extremely different from my my parents and my siblings like i'm very introverted not not shy but i just prefer to be on my own and my parents are both like like you know extroverted they're performers they love my whole family on both sides are like musical so they play instruments they're amazing like singers um on my mom's side, actually, my great uncle, he invented a genre of music, Chicano music. <laughs> um, and so his whole family, his like kids and family, my cousins are all like, they're on Broadway or they have like a musical institute. Um, wow. Uh, so just like, I've always felt like, like I, I was never really musical. I tried to play instruments, but there was always like a very big, like uh, outsider feeling I felt with my family. Not, like, in a bad way, but I was just, like, I don't know, like, how you guys can be like that. <laughs> I'm, like, why would you ever want to be, like, performing in front of people and, like, you know, and they just, like, I'm, like, how do you thrive like that? Because that's just, like, a horrid, horrible feeling to be, like, in front of people and performing and, like, <laughs> so just, like, being young and seeing, like, these very stark differences, you know, starting with my parents and then my siblings and my extended family, like, that was really fascinating to me. Um yeah, so just those those differences came came to me early, and I feel like they're really influential with me, like uh, really wanting to explore those sort of dynamics in like stories, because I feel like they don't, uh, at least in like American comics, like there's not dynamics like that that are really appreciated, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think like the interfamily closest, dynamics. Yeah. <laughs> like the closest would, would probably be the Lost Bros. Um, yeah. And, and it's really interesting because like uh, similar to you, they did comics cause they couldn't really play music. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? <laughs> so, That's like, really funny actually. There, you know, there's Mario Gilbert and Jaime, but there's also Ishmael mm-hmm. who was in the punk band, Dr. No. And, uh, ah, there's like Jaime last time I saw him was telling me all about the Oxnard punk scene, which is a whole thing I mm-hmm. have no idea about in their like small town. It's actually like oh, wow. specific there is a specific punk rock scene that's like Nardcore. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. So 
I don't know. It, it, yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting to see like kind of when you're surrounded by creative people, um, how your own creativity comes out in like a different way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It was almost like it's almost like a like it's it, it became like expressive, but at first it was like almost like a role play performance because I, I would I remember like making stuff like drawing in school like in elementary school and like kind of drawing like at my desk very like openly and like when people would walk by I would kind of like angle my book towards them <laughs> and I'd be like oh wow they're like oh that's a cool dragon you're drawing and they're like can you draw me something I'm like yeah I guess I could draw you something like it was my little like way to connect with people <laughs> I love it and I would like like during lunch I would like bring a sharpie and I would like casually like start drawing on my arm and then people would come over and be like oh man can you like draw me like a fake tattoo and I was like yeah I, I can do that <laughs> you know and then I have I'd have like a little line of like kids like waiting to get like little sharpie drawings on their arm and yeah I love it I was like I, I can do stuff too <laughs> uh, and you don't slow down like um it's, it's interesting how you still like push yourself creative like like you'll do mini comics to kind of explore ideas and then have that like kind of bleed out into other things yeah yeah yeah, yeah prism soccer is, is going to be like, like a very big stylistic exploration just because like you kind of get a hint of it in this first arc but um the student the scouts like uh like attacks are like psychic so they're projecting their own like perspective on their opponent and it's supposed to basically everyone has their own like a visual style when they're like in combat so to me like experimenting with styles is like such a core part of my work and i wanted to like actually use that as like a uh kind of like a narrative tool basically yeah nice well thank you sloan for taking the time to chat with me today uh yeah i really appreciate it um it's uh it's been too long coming uh reminder folks (laughs) uh prism stalker will be out in stores september 5th and you can also see sloan at boise the boise library comic Mm -hmm. show um yes for all you is is it idaho is boise in idaho uh yes (laughs) <laughs> and uh as well you'll be over in england at thought bubble um uh, yeah and you're gonna be are you tabling with like next to sarah horrocks uh yeah yeah that's where i'll be two awesome folks i recommend you chatting with um yeah thank you so much Sloan. yeah thank you for having me Kind of people, yeah, yeah. Telepathy fan, watch how I read you. boy. You ain't got emeralds greener, nah. You ain't got Richard the sleeve, no sir. And I got a rose that's in the grove that I ain't drove. Shit, I don't know the reason. Three or five, underlay, underlay, revive. Hola, me and Jay Babin on G5. Hola. Success is a drug, hey man, we high. I, your mother, is a beehive. Yeah, I got love for you haters. Yeah, ain't you tired of enslaving? Huh? Come with us, make some paper. Shame, yeah. cause you should own what you label. Yeah, you never stayed in Kahlua. I push it now on my shooter Flooded my chain and it Gucci I don't want that girl, she moody I'm basically saying I'm cooler Get DR discounts from my cougar Back in the sixth grade, I got them bad grades I was in love with my tutor See, musically lose, you trapping, man Most of you rappers be actors, man Go MIA when I find little Madison Stay at the risk, call 10, this not the rattles Just took a blue one, about to take the red pill Purple thoughts in my brain, hope it don't spill Stay with a nerd, you like Urkel Jalil Fresh is like Carlton, I kill him but will Big ass R on my whips Slip on shoes so you won't trip Say she kinda fine and she got some hips Mama said let me see the witch Boy you know light and dark don't mix Mix it up boy bad luck Sick to my stomach with them neon guts Higher than Elon Musk So high stars in the dust And I got a colorful aura Like I got neon guts Dark energy we don't touch All jewelry's beyond touch And they give a nigga colorful aura like I got neon guts Higher than Elon Musk 
so high, stars eat our dust And I got a colorful aura, like I got neon guts Dark energies we don't touch, our jewelry's beyond touch And I got a colorful aura, like I got neon Yeah fam, Ferrello Mars with my fellow star I'm like lightning striking in a metal rod I say hello God and the double bars So damn it, MX, I got a yellow card uh, Yellow card, yellow card I need a yellow card I am from the root like where the pedal start I had to push like a pedal started Way after but ahead of y'all New crib got a better yard Two years I got hella cards Since the eighth grade I had hella broads Hella bras, hella bras Yellow painting with a yellow bra Shit came from cost, probably March Slick my hair back like I'm Chico DeBarge I got some lights on my chest Don't confuse it with a heart Heard things ain't looking too good for you Had to pull some strings like I played a harp I get these billions alone It been that way from the start Smoking good kush my cologne Got neon guts cause I can't see in the dark Higher than Elon Musk So high stars eat our dust And I got a colorful aura Like I got neon guts Dark energy we don't touch All jewelry's beyond touch And I give a nigga colorful aura Like I got neon guts Higher than Elon Musk So high stars eat our dust And I got a colorful aura, like I got neon guts. Dark energies we don't touch. Our jewelry's beyond touch. And I got a colorful aura, like I got neon guts. And I got a colorful.